You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with Chip Espinoza about the workforce of the future. Continuing our discussion on the impact of the millennial generation, we are going to look forward at the challenges facing employers and employees as this amazing generation marches forward to take its place as the predominant workforce generation. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Chip Espinoza. Thanks, Teresa. Great to be on your show. We're really glad to have you. Hey, before we get started, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Okay, so I write books on how to integrate younger workers in the workforce. So my first book was Managing the Millennials. And the second one was Millennials at Work was to help them transition early career, moving out of college. And then my most recent book is Millennials Who Manage as that first wave are now solidly into management positions in organizations. I also am the Dean of of Strategy and Innovation at Vanguard University in beautiful Costa Mesa, California. Yay, Costa Mesa. Well, I think given all that, I think you are a a great resource to be talking about the workforce of the future. Um, One of our last shows, we we talked about what defines the millennial generation. And moving forward, I want to talk about sort of how this amazing generation is going to be influencing the workforce of the future. And first off, let's talk about why, why are we even having this discussion about the workforce of the future in regards to the millennial generation? See, I love that question because a lot of people get stuck on this is what a generation is like and this is what you have to do without really first asking the why question. And the reason we're having this discussion, number one is millennials are the first generation who don't need an authority figure to access information. That totally redefines the relationship people have to authority. So I'm sure early in your career, like my career, I had to find somebody older than me and suck up to them. (laughs) and try to do anything I could to win their favor so that I would have an opportunity. And uh, today's young professional does not have that felt need like we had it. And so a lot of people that are in those other generations are waiting for young people to come and approach them and ask them questions. But really, authority figures will be the last place they'll go with a question. So, So I think that number one fundamentally is change the game more than anything else. I think another thing is just demographics. Um, When you have a generation like the baby boomer who was large and in charge for over three decades of our organizations and society, basically, now you have a bigger generation coming behind them who's really challenging 
uh, a lot of the the norms that they established. So it's kind of funny because Gen X kind of looks at millennials like going, I, I call them relationship brokers. They understand baby boomers, interpret them to millennials, and they understand millennials and interpret them to baby boomers. And so I think that is part of this as well. And because of the demographics, there's a concept that I absolutely love. And if I had a rock band, this is what I would name it, demographic metabolism. (laughs) And what it means is when older generations are moving out of control of our social institutions and younger generations are following, that there is the potential for tension, for strife, for conflict. And the way to negotiate that is to attempt to understand one another. And so I think those probably are the biggest factors. Of course, you look at parenting styles have changed over the decades. The baby boomer was raised without hearing three words, I love you. And so they made the commitment that they were going to tell their kids every day how much they love them. They wanted to provide for them every opportunity they missed out on as a child. And so to some degree, the baby boomer parent has really sought to be a friend with their child. So again, you have this power distance that was normative in culture prior to the millennial generation that said, well, there's a gap between uh, this person that has this title and me. But because of the authority figures in their life approach them as friends, that's really changed the game. So, so when a young person goes into the workforce, the first thing they think is, I wonder if this person is my friend. And the manager is the last thing they're thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's really interesting, that that aspect. And I do think that, you know, we're each a product of our generation in that that's true. Each generation wants better for their kids. They want to make sure their kids have what they didn't have, whether that's on on an emotional scale or an educational, financial, lifestyle, whatever it might be. And I do find it to be interesting that their first exposure to that sort of unfriendly authority figure, you know, because everybody wins and nobody gets yelled at, you know, and they get in the workplace and that's the first exposure. And especially, I'm thinking uh, something sort of you and I uh, talked about uh, when we were uh, getting ready for this show about this idea that that negative manager aspect, where do you think that's happening? Because in my head, I'm seeing where where I think it really matters is at the corporate level. So not the first job, not that retail, not the restaurant job, unless, of course, they progress beyond those entry-level positions. But more beyond that, that seems to me to be where it really matters or where it would really impact them. Do you Do you see that? Or do you see that first exposure in that entry-level job with a negative manager to be something that's really impacted that generation's view of dealing with authority and older generations in the workplace? No, I I think it's more critical or acute when it happens when they enter their professional career because they have visions of just incredible stuff happening to them. And they get into that job and all of a sudden go, boy, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Right. And and matter of fact, it may be the first time they ever encounter an authority figure that's not not only not for them, but who's antagonistic to them. And so I think to some degree it it is more important. And as we talked about earlier, and I think it's important for the audience to know, particularly in in your sector, is that the more education someone gets, the greater the gap of expectation of of when they transition into career. So they come in saying, I went to school for six years, eight years, 10 years, and you're telling me I can't talk in a meeting. And it's very disconcerting to them, and, and, and rightfully so. Because, and where I see this a lot, like veterinarians, medical doctors, 
uh, it, it's fascinating because there's a real tension in those areas, probably more so than other sectors because of how much education it, it, you, you have to have to even get your foot in the door, and then you're treated like someone who, who shouldn't speak in a meeting. I, you know what's interesting about that is you're absolutely correct, So, in, uh, and, and I think it is in those professions, but what each of those professions have, the legal industry, the medical field, is that they are all professions where you become more valuable with experience as opposed to less valuable, if that's one way to put it. Um, there are other careers that that's a little different, that you can become outdated, you can become outmoded, but those particular right. ones, the more experience you have, the more valuable you are. And that I see a lot in the legal industry, especially, you know, my field is, is when you're in law school, they basically, nobody wants to know what you have to say. You're a law student. And the same thing when you get that first job, they really don't want you talking in those meetings because, right. you know, there's so many other people at the table with more experience that you need to listen. You need to get the experience you, because there's, there's learning, there's education, and then there's application. How does that education get applied to everyday scenarios or the legal scenario or the medical scenario? That's where the value is. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic and a communication, a, a, like you said, a great way to, to focus to improve communication. And as I... Well, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, in, in the way that I think that professionals, managing professionals... One of the things that we do is we point out inexperience, and you're pointing out what they know better than you, because that's what they've been told when they went for the job, when they right. wanted a raise, when they wanted a promotion. And so I think we, in communication, I'm glad you brought that up, is that we've, our communication has to be more around their readiness and preparedness rather than their inexperience. I agree. Whole, I, I agree. I like that shift. Yeah, yeah, I love that shift because it's true. It's 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 a different way of of communicating, and I don't see I, I don't see anything. I, I don't see a downside to that. I know on the prior show that we had, we talked about millennials, and I said this to you as well. I think they're amazing. I love having them in the workplace, and one of the reasons I like it so much is that they are really challenging the workforce. They are challenging the workplace all over yep. uh, about to uh, how to communicate better, how to change the dynamic, how to how to refocus the conversation. You say something um, in your body of work that uh, really resonates with me, and, and it's kind of what you said. It's the idea that the focus in the workplace needs to shift from conversations about millennials to conversations with millennials. And yeah. And it just as we just as we head into the break, tell me sort of what was it in your research and your experience that led you to begin to advocate for that type of a paradigm shift? Well, you, I, I'm a university professor teaching that age group, and I, I just think they're amazing. And I'm hearing other faculty members saying, oh, they, they, they complain about the length of the yeah. paper and, <laughs> you know, they, they think everything's negotiable and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, boy, I wonder when they transition into career if managers are going to experience them in the same way these professors are, and if they are, how can I make, help them make that transition? And so that was the spark of it all, really, is teaching uh, millennials. I, I think that's, that's awesome. I, I love that. I love that idea. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, 
More thoughts from Chip on the workforce of the future. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12 hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals, but I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It sure means a lot to us, and it ensures that more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about the workforce of the future with author and speaker Chip Espinoza. Chip, I want to go back to a a little bit. I want to know, from your research and your experience, beyond the things that are sort of commonplace that we know about millennials, what they want from the workplace, but what questions do you think that that particular generation is struggling with as they look ahead to the workforce of the future, as they contemplate if they do, which we assume they do, they're going to be the dominant generation in the workforce as every, you know, as every generation gets, you know, the, the new generation comes in and becomes, uh, as, you, as you put it, the dominant uh, generation. What, are, what is this generation thinking about? What do, what do you think they're, they're concerned about, they're questioning? Well, their, their frustration, there's a term for it, and Matilda Riley was a soci- is a so- sociologist, and she came up with this called structural lag. And what it means is outmoded social institutions failing to provide opportunity for its members who re- represent a growing population. So when you look at this, you know, m- millennial coming to the workforce, they're looking at structural lag to go, this is ridiculous the way we're doing these things. And I'll give you an example of structural lag is – so for many people, for decades now, the measurement of productivity has been a time clock. You punch in in the morning and you punch out in the evening. And, but it doesn't really measure what you did at work. It measures that you were at work. And so I think the frustration that millennials have is that they believe they can do their work in a lot less time and should be valued for that. So why have to stay eight hours when you could get it done in six hours. And so this gets complicated because if you look at a law firm that has billable hours, well, how do you do that? So I think one of the things that they're going to be amazing at as managers is they're going to figure out some metrics that allow for probably greater access to your personal time um, while at work. I I think that's true. I, I, I think one of the things that most of the most of my clients, when they uh, my employer side clients, and they talk to me, they're worried about an overall transition to something that they don't think works for them. Now, having said that, there's the idea that nothing's going to work except the way we're doing it now. 
that right. the failure right. to accept new technology and new ways of doing things. And then there's the, the concept that you kind of mentioned. For some industries, it, I'm not necessarily think it's the legal industry, but some industries, not everything's going to correlate. Not everything's going to go across right. the board. But I like this idea. I love the conversations about what does it mean to work? There is so much going on with technology, AI. We've got some AI shows coming up I'm really excited about. And what's that doing to, to what it means to work? It's what you're talking about. It's, it's productivity. It's rethinking for each workspace. What works in this culture? What works for this industry? I think that's really exciting. And I'm, I'm hoping that all of this you know, that when they do get to be managers, that there are these conversations going on and that they're they're really focusing on on all of that. Your um, your sort of concept of your philosophies, I guess, in dealing with millennials, um, a little bit of what you've talked about so far. Tell me how how you think that translates beyond this particular generation so that because you probably know more statistics than I do. I know that there's at least four generations in the workplace at this point, and that's very unique. So how do you, how are you seeing what you're talking about now to, to, to shift that conversation? How do you see that working uh, beyond this particular generation? Well, well, first of all, and you said it earlier, is that you, you have certain things that shape a worldview uh, in a generation. And it was Carl Mannheim, a German sociologist, who came up with the concept or first wrote about it. And he said that technology, pop culture, parenting, all these things could shape a generation to where they would have this kind of global worldview among themselves. And so, which is really fascinating, when he was writing, obviously, in the 1920s, geography was a limitation to what he was saying. Today, there is no limitation. We're more of a technography than a geography. And so it's fascinating to see that millennials are more alike around the world than any generation before them. And so uh, I'm, inter you know, I've, I've translated into seven or eight languages. I spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, China, Japan, Philippines. It's fascinating because in some parts of the world, the tension between generation is even more acute than it is here. And part of that is that historically, some of those other countries, post-communism, uh, for instance, in Poland, is that... Uh, there's been a closing of this power distance between a subordinate and, and their manager, and it's kind of created some issues. Now, what I see is understanding these concepts that create a generation. So there's something called age cohort effect, and what it means is that each cohort is responsive to social change and then it exerts its own collective force for further change. And so when we look at social roles, social values, influence on other age courts, cohorts, that's just a natural phenomenon. So we have the millennials now that, and by the way, if you, if you really want to follow it out, Gen Z following them, probably not in professional jobs yet, perhaps juniors in college at the, the eldest, maybe sophomore in college, more in sales, retail jobs. But if you look at them coming up, Worldwide numbers, as far as demographics, they're probably going to be 500 million more than the millennial generation. 
But most of that population is in Africa and India and China. So when you look at your more parts of the world developed, is that millennials, I think, are still going to be like that baby boomer who has real influence over the other generations for uh, several decades. But as Z comes up, some of the things I'm seeing a little bit different. I, now, I'm a workforce person, so I don't like to go out there. I, you know, I'm not a messing salesman and say, hey, this is what they're like. And I don't understand how people could write books today about what they're like as professionals because they're not there yet. But I have done some research on high potential high schoolers, which gives you kind of a little peek into what's going to happen. I think with that generation, we're going to move away from this entitlement back to a meritocracy. They're going to say, well, I didn't deserve this. Why are you giving me this certificate? Why are you giving me this trophy? I didn't deserve it. So I think that part, uh, they saw kind of that entitlement and the reputation of the millennial, and, and, and that's dialing back. I think their parents are Gen X mostly, who were more of a pessimistic generation than the baby boomer. And so they may be more conservative in some ways fiscally and those kinds of things. I think when it comes to advocacy and voice, they're going to really be further out um, on the pendulum than the millennials were because they're very empowered with their voice. So I think the key is, is when you go in, my, my research methodology is called participatory action research. So the way that I do research is find people that are experiencing the problem and put them at the center of the solution. So I start with the millennials transitioning to careers, say, what's going on here? How can we help you and all that kind of stuff? And then go out and talk to managers who are good at helping people transition into career and then write about it. So I think that as we look at this, it's incumbent upon us to look at each generation, not as a label, not as a way to sell to them, but to say, how can we listen to you to better understand you to create opportunity for you? Now, the barrier to this is what I call bias of experience. And that's those of us who have been large and in charge for a while to say, the way I did it or we did it is the blueprint for everybody else coming behind us. And I think that's the greatest threat to really understanding generations. I think it's the greatest threat to uh, knowledge transfer, and it's the greatest threat towards uh, employee engagement. Interesting. Well, I love the idea of doing away with the labels. That really resonates. I love that because that's that's one of the ways we're all about improving employer-employee relationships and communications, and that, to me, is is a gateway to really having a more open communication uh, within an organization uh, as opposed to kind of the way we're structuring things now. Well, we're running out of time. There's so many great things that you've brought up. We could just go on and on and on, but we are, we're running out of time. So I want to wrap up today by asking you to give us whatever your top three tips are for both employers and our employees on engaging the workforce of the future. Well, I think number one is build a relationship both ways. If, if you're uh, a new employee, go in there and take initiative and reach out and build a relationship with your manager. Uh, managers out there, executives, make the effort to step out. The, the problem is we have a generation <laughs> we have a generation of young people who struggle with communicating with people older than them, partly because of the world they grew up in, technology and all that. 
And we have an older generation waiting for them to come and ask him questions and, and take the initiative. And so I would say to that manager, take that initiative. Don't wait. By the way, people in my study that stood out in, in the effective group versus the challenge group of managers, many of them had experience volunteering in youth organizations. So AYSO, church youth groups, all those things. So you may have low-hanging fruit in your organization of people who are really good at managing young professionals just simply because of their experience at that. So that's one thing that's I'd say. Number two is you have to have a plan for young professionals. Career development is their love language, and they want to know, how are you going to develop me? Now, in professional organizations like law firms, it's easier to create that path and here are the benchmarks, but it's frequent feedback about their progress and evaluation that is critical, not put your head down, keep doing a good job, and it's going to happen someday, and, and you'll lose them if that's your message. Uh, another thing that I would warn companies is that I've seen a lot of them do great internship programs, and then they hire the person they want, but the job is nothing like their internship experience. So it's kind of like a bait-and-switch thing. So be careful that how you recruit them and what you're saying they're going to experience and what they're going to do and how much you value them, if you're not really living that out day-to-day, that, that's, that could be a revolving door for your organization. And... One thing I say to young professionals coming in, they want to make a difference in your organization from day one. And that's why they criticize everything. I always say, if you hire a millennial who's not criticizing everything you're doing, they're not giving 100%. And the reason is, <laughs> the reason is because they want to make a difference. And yet it comes off. They don't want it to come off the wrong way. So management experience, well, they complain about everything. You know, they think they're smarter than me and all that. That's not what's happening. They simply want to contribute. So I always say to them, uh, you know, don't push back on that. And I say to that young professional, if you want to make a difference, master their way before you suggest your way. And so I think in the end, that relationship with manager and, and young professional is critical. It's a basis for, in my book, I have nine competencies that I talk about that are critical to the to being able to effectively manage young professionals and build a relationship is core to that. Another thing I would say just in closing here, we know this and it's been written about a lot. There are two things they want out of their job, meaning and self-expression. And so um, some of the law firms I've worked with early on, we're looking for ways, how do we reward people? And it became huge success when we allowed them to earn credit hours to work pro bono for the charity of their choice as, as something they could select as a benefit, not a benefit, but as, as a, a reward. And so there's a lot of ways. And so I would just encourage you in your office to say, how is it that we're talking? How is it that we're seeking to better understand each other? How are we adapting to this new workforce in a way that is going to help us be more productive in the future? I like it. Give and take on both sides. Well, Chip, I want to thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insights and all your expertise on this really interesting topic. That's our show for today. If you want to learn more about our guest, you can find him on the web at chipespinoza.com. That's C-H-I-P-E-S-P-O-N-I-Z-A.com. You can also connect to Chip via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast and clicking on episode 26. 
I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and our Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, engineer producer Paul Roberts, our associate producer Michelle Hardy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.